Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Murphy's League. Today's episode we're going to be recapping week 5 of the NFL. I'm going to be doing top 10 power rankings. I'm also going to be going over a couple teams that might look really different this time next year. Just talking about a couple storylines, talking about some players integrated as I'm talking about those top 10 teams. And then we're going to close out today's episode with some fantasy football advice. As always, there will be timestamps located down below. I'm going to do the power rankings first, so stick around for that. And I'm going to finish off with the fantasy football. Um, it wasn't too great of a week of football. There's honestly wasn't too many surprise matchups, I guess. I think the biggest surprise game was the Baltimore Steelers game. But Baltimore will be in my top 10. going to spoil that right now. So I'll talk about that once I get there. But with all that being said, I hope you do enjoy this episode, and let's get right into it. Alright guys, so like I mentioned, not the craziest week of football this week, but nonetheless, there was still a lot of exciting matchups that did take place, but... I'm going to be starting with my top 10 power rankings and then talking about the matchups that these teams partook in this weekend, starting off with my number 10 team, the Jacksonville Jaguars, or the London Jaguars, if you want to call them that. They always tend to play better over there. Obviously stayed there, played in London last week against the Atlanta Falcons, ended up staying and played the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills did not look like themselves at all in this game. Um, you know, despite the best efforts of AJ Epinesa and some of their other studs like Stephon Diggs, like Gabe Davis scoring early, it just wasn't the Bills game in this one. They absolutely got dominated in the time of possession and Jacksonville really did show out. It really did look like a difference in rest. Buffalo just didn't look like they were playing themselves. And I think if you play this game over again, you know, Jacksonville doesn't find a way to sneak out the way that they did in this one. But nevertheless, I've got to give Jacksonville credit where it is due. Um, this is a roster that is playing fairly, you know, balanced football right now. I really like how they found their run game this last week against the Buffalo Bills. That was something that they were definitely struggling with at the beginning of the game. So there was also just some inconsistency between Trevor Lawrence and his receivers. Calvin Ridley obviously started the year very well against the Indianapolis Colts then had some games where he disappeared. He bounced back very nicely in this one. You guys know how I feel about Christian Kirk and Zay Jones if you've been listening to this podcast. Um, this, those guys are you know, traditional B receivers, they're wide receiver two and threes, but there's absolutely nothing wrong with that when you do have someone like a Calvin Ridley. I like what this team is able to do. I really like what they've built along the defensive line. You still expect to see more from Trayvon Walker as a pure pass rusher. I think a lot of his best plays have actually come in coverage, which is really funny. Um, just considering where he was as a prospect coming out of Georgia, playing in the interior of the defensive line a lot, and then obviously testing like an absolute freak. People wanted to put him on the edge, but believe it or not, some of his best plays really have come in coverage. He made a really big play in this Buffalo game as well. So I don't want to sound like I'm discrediting the Jaguars, even though this was a little bit of a fluky game. Um, I will say I still think the Buffalo Bills are a better team. That'll be reflected in my power rankings, but... Jacksonville still really admirable that they are there at number 10. I still think they are the best team in the AFC South. I still think they have the best quarterback in the AFC South, even though CJ Stroud definitely has something to say about that one. He's playing very, very well, not just for a rookie, but just in general, CJ Stroud is playing phenomenal football right now, but Jacksonville Jaguars still have to be my number 10 team. I will say there is a pretty clear drop off after you know, once you get past the top three teams, I think there's a pretty clear drop off. And then once you get past the three teams beyond that, 
three through six is definitely a tier of its own seven through ten is definitely a tier of its own and then i would say one through three is a tier that is really really are the true super bowl contenders but i'm not going to spoil it we'll get to that once we get to that and number nine let's go to the seattle seahawks I've been really impressed with what they've been able to do against the run this season. It is reflective in their stats as well. They're sixth in rushing yards against um, per game on a per game basis. They are 30th in passing yards against, which definitely a reason to be concerned, but you should expect them to improve in that category as the season goes on. Obviously, Devon Witherspoon having a career game last week against the New York Giants. They didn't play this week since they were on bye, but Devon Witherspoon, absolute stud absolutely loved him coming out of illinois if you listen to my podcast throughout the draft process you know how high i was on him and even beyond that jamal adams did suffer a concussion last week but we expect him to be back this upcoming week again there's a reason to think that the seattle pass offense or pass defense excuse me should get better plus barring that geno smith will stay healthy and there there was no major injury that happened in that Giants game because obviously he did miss a series in that game. Sorry for the little bit of outside noise. Um, but he ended up coming back and looking healthy, playing like himself. And, you know, barring that he will stay healthy and that there is nothing to be concerned with there, this should still be an extremely explosive passing offense. And you guys all should know by now, I love Kenneth Walker so much. I give a lot of credit to this offensive line that Seattle has been holding up because. They drafted this offensive line very, very well last year, two starting rookie tackles, but they've had a ton of injuries this year, and it honestly hasn't really mattered. I've been super impressed with what they've been able to do from week one to week four, where they played the New York Giants. They didn't have a single starter that was uh, the same as week one, and they made the most out of it that, you know, no excuses were being made there. They still held Geno Smith upright. They were able to find a good running game with Kenneth Walker on the ground, and again, I just think that this is a team that can still get better, maybe still hasn't hit their ceiling, and they went into Detroit and beat Detroit. In perspective, that is a very, very impressive win. Obviously, you know, maybe they don't do it again if it all happens over again, but to go into Detroit and win in overtime with how good Detroit has looked to start off this year, I think that really is enough of a statement win, and they've had enough just benefit of the doubt to me where they... There's not a lot that this team can't do. They can keep up with anybody in the passing offense. Obviously, they can allow a lot of yards, but they're not going to let you, you know, run the clock out and drain, you know, time and hold the ball for long periods of time because that rushing defense has been playing so well. So with all that being said, I have the Seattle Seahawks at number nine. At number eight, I still have the Baltimore Ravens here. I know that was a really, really ugly loss this past week, this past Sunday against the Pittsburgh Steelers, but... Frankly, again, I don't want to just dismiss a lot of these losses as fluke losses because, you know, I want to give the credit to the Steelers. They held on and their defense played phenomenal in that game. But at the same time, Baltimore absolutely beat themselves in this one. They left a ton of points on the board and it wasn't Lamar's fault at all. Lamar Jackson is playing at an MVP level. He was really let down by his receivers. I'm sure most of you guys have already seen the clips. If you're watching the game live, you know exactly whose fault it was in this game and it absolutely was these receivers zay flowers you know made a bad adjustment over the middle of the field he dropped another one over the middle of the field which it was a little behind him but he totally should have caught it mark andrews had a bad drop in this one nelson aguilar would have had a walk-in touchdown that he dropped nothing new there even um rashad bateman dropped a really bad one in this game lamar jackson was basically pinpoint accurate all game long and again he has been playing absolutely fantastic all season long but this wasn't 
you know, at the credit of uh, of the Steelers. It was more so Baltimore beating themselves. I don't expect that to happen again if they do meet in the future. Of course, you know, you've got to give some credit to the Steelers. Kenny Pickett, George Pickens made a really big play at the end of the game there. Their special teams came up big with that blocked punt, which then turned into a safety, gave their offense the ball back. We all know how it ended up, you know, playing out at when it's all said and done. But the Baltimore Ravens just... They beat themselves in this one. I really don't think they're going to make that mistake again. And I really do think they are one of the better teams in the entirety of the NFL. Obviously, that's reflective in their ranking. I have them at number eight. Number seven, the Dallas Cowboys. I know they're coming off a total ass whooping. Um, and I'll get to that team eventually that whooped their ass. The San Francisco 49ers, obviously one of the best if not the best team in all of football. But don't get it twisted. Dallas is still a really good team. They're still one of the best teams in the entirety of the NFC. Still a very, very complete roster. Um, but again, it's just going to be really hard to be true contenders when your quarterback is turning over the ball the way that he has been. Dak Prescott already starting the year with four interceptions, not on a good pace at all. Obviously, three of them came in this last game against the San Francisco 49ers. But the matter of the fact is, there's just some bad reads being made in that game. And you simply cannot make the mistakes like that and expect to keep up with a team like San Francisco or the Eagles, frankly, because those teams are just a different caliber of talent. They are so uber talented and they are so good at everything. I mean, the, these teams in the Cowboys, or excuse me, in the Eagles and the Niners, they frankly have very little weaknesses and that extends to the quarterback position. Jalen Hurts is still playing really, really good football, still taking care of the football. And Brock Purdy, no matter what you think of him anymore, he's not just a good quarterback for being, you know, Mr. Irrelevant. He's not just a good quarterback for being such a young quarterback. He's just a good quarterback who executes Kyle Shanahan's scheme very, very well. Don't get me wrong. There is some credit there that has to be given to Kyle Shanahan and his weapons. That absolutely has something to do with it. Any quarterback is gonna play better in the system. I completely hear that, that conversation, that argument point, but at the same time, you have to give him his credit where he's due. He's making the plays happen. Even when they're not there, he has the ability to extend plays, keep his eyes down the field, and he just has a poise about him that I haven't seen from a young quarterback like this, honestly, since Joe Burrow was really playing well and leading the Bengals to these big games like the AFC Championship game, like the Super Bowl games. Brock Purdy is playing at that kind of level. He does have some physical limitations just in terms of arm talent, in terms of, you know, he's not the greatest athlete when it comes to breaking down in space and, you know, blowing by defenders. He's obviously, he's no Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson, but frankly, he doesn't have to be in this offense. He just has to be smart, has to take care of the football, and he has the ability to extend plays when they're not there. So with all that being said, it's really tough to beat a team from the Cowboys' point of, point of view when you don't have a, the type of caliber of not only weapons, because frankly, the Cowboys just don't have the same weapons that the Niners do. Almost no team in the NFL does. Probably no team in the NFL has that those types of weapons, but it really doesn't help when your quarterback is feeling pressure, not acting composed, not making the right reads, not taking care of the football. And that's why the Cowboys fall a few spots in my power rankings. They're down at number seven. And right now I would take number six, the Miami Dolphins over them. 
I still need to see more from this defense. It feels like they can improve as this year goes on because I just trust their personnel so much. I'm still a very big Bradley Chubb believer. I'm still a very big Jalen Phillips fan. Um, I like a lot of the pieces they have in their secondary. I love that they drafted Cam Smith. Xavier Howard, we know how good he can be. Cater Coho had a phenomenal rookie year for them last year in the slot. And I really do think it's going to be a very different um, defensive game plan once they do have Jalen Ramsey back because I think Vic Fangio and Jalen Ramsey are really just a match made in heaven and he's going to use him all over the field him and uh what's the safety's name um man he went to Oregon I'm forgetting his name right now I should have wrote this down but shit it's not McKinney is it no that's the other safety Holland, Javon Holland. Him and Javon Holland are basically going to be positionless along this defensive front, and it's going to be really, really fun to watch because you never know which one's going to come outside on the blitz. They can both cover. They can both play a deep third and like a free safety type of role, or they can come down and play in the box. I mean, it is going to be so fun to see what Vic Fangio does with his DBs. So again, I still need to see more from this defense, especially from a pass rushing point of view, but I think that will improve as the year goes on, as Jalen Ramsey comes back. Um... But it is worth mentioning Tua did have the worst game of this season against the Giants. And I want to give some credit to Wink Martindale and the Giants. They were able to do some good at times, you know, confusing Tua, making him hold on to the ball for a second longer. But at times, it just kind of felt like this offense just feels completely unstoppable. And Tua was honestly kind of beating himself in this one. There was times where his he let his eyes deceive him. Uh, that pick where he was throwing to Jalen Waddle, for example, was just a bad read. And his eyes got the best of him. He got confused. He held onto the ball for a little too long. It looked like he panicked a little bit back there. Not what we're used to seeing Tua doing. But again, when this offense is clicking on all cylinders, we know how damn good they can be. Not only are they first in passing yards as a team right now, but they're also first in rushing yards. This is a really, really complete offense. Yes, they just lost Devon Achan. Sounds like he's going to be headed to the IR, so he's going to miss at least four weeks. But I'm not. I'm really not con too concerned about that. They have other guys that can get it done. We've seen Jeff Wilson get it done in this exact system over in San Francisco. We know how good and explosive Raheem Mostert can be. So I'm really not too concerned about that. Obviously, it's going to be a big deal once he is back, and he has been fantastic for him. I think he's second in the league in rushing yards right now. Obviously, that Broncos game is really padding those stats. But either way, I just think that the Miami Dolphins are still one of the most complete teams in the entirety of the league. Want to see more from their defense, but I think that will happen as the year goes along. At number five, I still have to pay them their respect, even though they are coming off a tough loss versus Jacksonville. I have the Buffalo Bills at number five, still have them a slot above the Miami Dolphins. Again, have to give them the credit because they did low-key, not even low-key, they blew them out a couple weeks ago. Um, I still don't like a couple things about this team, starting with I just don't like the way Stephon Diggs acts on the sidelines sometimes. I know that's pretty nitpicky, and I know when you're that good of a receiver, you're kind of allowed a little bit of leeway, and the frustrations are sometimes granted because Josh Allen you know, can make some absolute boneheaded moves sometimes, just some bad decisions back there. And losing Matt Milano and Tredavious White really, really stings. Don't get me wrong, especially the Matt Milano. I know that you know if you want to get into the analytics or whatever, cornerback's a much more valuable position than linebacker, and linebacker's a very replaceable position, but Matt Milano, I mean, when you have a linebacker that's at the caliber of Matt Milano, there's a reason why he made the all-pro team last year. This dude is fantastic. Seems like he is a leader along this defensive front, too, so that is a really, really big loss for them, wishing him the best because it was a pretty serious injury. Sounds like there is some ligament damage 
and a fracture as well so just absolutely awful and then of course before this game even happened Tredavious White tore his Achilles so really feel for him he's dealt with a ton of injuries over his career as well so wishing those guys the best but I mean I still think to get on the positive side I still think they have one of the best home field advantages in the league and honestly very similar to the Dolphins when they're at their ceiling this is just a team that's so hard to beat because unlike the Dolphins, I really do like what I've seen from their pass rush. They're really deep in that front. Their front four is not just a front four. It's more like a front seven. They have a lot of guys, a lot of rotational pieces that can come in and contribute. We saw that this weekend with AJ Epinesa, a guy who's, you know, hasn't seen the most snaps throughout his time there in Buffalo. He made the most of his opportunity that he got in London this past weekend. Saw career highs in snaps and made the most out of it. Got two sacks. Um, you know, was getting home consistently with pressure. He is a really, really fantastic player, and he's not the only guy along this defensive line that can get it done. Von Miller designated to come back, so obviously that's going to give him an even bigger boost along this defensive line, but they still have guys like Ed Oliver. Uh, Daquan Jones is still there. Uh, still have Jordan Phillips. A lot of other guys that can get it done along the defensive line. And then, of course, offensively, again, I mentioned it with the Dolphins, but it's it's a similar idea where when they're firing on all cylinders, when they're playing at their absolute best, they're really fucking hard to stop. I mean, for me, they need Gabe Davis to play well. And if that happens, because you know Stephon Diggs is going to get his 10 targets. He's going to do his thing. Josh Allen is going to be looking at him consistently. If you can get Gabe Davis going early or, you know, some of these other guys like a Dalton Kincaid, if you can get those guys going it's just, it adds a whole new dynamic to defending this team, and it's really, really hard, especially when you consider Josh Allen can also do it by himself with his feet. One thing I will say that I'm really, I'm curious to see, I mean, maybe excited isn't the right word because the way that he's found his opportunity into the starting lineup is really shitty, but with the injury to Matt Milano, Dorian Williams should be seeing a lot more snaps in the future he was a third round pick for him and honestly he was really really fun to watch at Tulane he was a big reason why Tulane was so successful last year they obviously had a breakout season down there for that program they did a lot of really good things and Dorian Williams he does have shades of Nick Bolton in a way where he's yes he's undersized and yes that might you know not help him necessarily against the run game but Nick Bolton is able to get so many tackles and defend the run so well despite him being undersized because a he's extremely twitched up for his size he's a great athlete really really good 10 yard split really good 40 yard time dorian williams is in a similar position there where he tested extremely well as an athlete but the buffalo bills have a similar you know formula to the kansas city chiefs where they have a lot of big dudes up front a lot of rotation on their defensive line that's going to keep dorian williams clean hopefully you know not having blockers go up to the second level and take care of him hopefully he's twitched up enough and kept clean by that defensive line where he can just play cleanup crew and get a lot of tackles that way so at number five i have the buffalo bills at number four i have the detroit lions good for detroit being this high this is another team kind of like the eagles which i'll get to obviously haven't brought them up yet but no spoilers to say there i'm gonna get to them eventually where they can just dominate on both sides of the line of scrimmage i'm so impressed with how Aiden Hutchinson has looked to start off this year. I knew how good he can be, but just the fact that he hit the ground running exactly where he left off his rookie year, and he's making plays not only as a pass rusher, but he added another pick to his resume. Um, really impressive what he's able to do there. But beyond that, I mean, Elim McNeil, a guy that I've been talking about a lot since last year, someone that I thought was really, really slept on. He's finally being talked about more as a household name in the interior of this defensive line. He's adding a ton of pressure there. And, you know, 
adding or excuse me taking away stress off of Aiden Hutchinson's shoulders and then of course there's guys like James Houston they have Josh Pascal there who was a second round pick last year for him so there's just a lot to like for Detroit on this defensive line I think one thing you have to be slightly worried about is just injuries as a whole obviously Jameer Gibbs dealing with a little bit of injuries Emmanuel Mosley just so fucking shitty to hear it tore his right ACL after coming off of a left ACL injury last year um CJ Gardner-Johnson has been dealing with some injuries. So I think the biggest thing that you're concerned with right now is injuries, particularly in the secondary. But Amara should be back soon, and we know how good the connection is between him and Jared Goff. He's a very quarterback-friendly receiver. Even without Amara last week, Goff was still dealing, still having a really, really great year for himself up there. And again, a lot of that credit has to be given to this offensive line and David Montgomery, who's running the ball very, very effectively. Um, their ceiling is limited in some ways because, you know, I think their, their quarterback just doesn't have, you know, the ceiling of some of these other guys that I've mentioned so far in this list. And also their weapons are really damn good. Don't get me wrong, but again, not quite as good as some of these other top, top tier teams that I've mentioned. Um, they make up for it in the way of play calling. I really like how their offensive coordinator coaches up plays for them. I also really like, again, offensive line, just moving the line of scrimmage. That's the easiest formula to win NFL football games. Um, And they can do that very, very effectively. So I would still take them over the Cowboys right now, although it would be an absolutely fantastic game. And again, if it's in Detroit, I'd feel a lot more confident with that. If it's in Dallas, maybe Dallas finds a way to sneak that one out. Um, I think that would be an excellent playoff game. And I hope that we do end up getting to see that in the playoffs and probably in the divisional round. Um, I don't know. I guess we'll see. Time will tell. But I have the Detroit Lions at number four. Have to give them the respect. And let's talk about the Kansas City Chiefs. I've got them at number three. I think there's a clear drop-off. Um, I mentioned it a little bit earlier in my rankings, but there's. I think the top three are kind of in a tier of their own right now. Kansas City just happens to be in the bottom of this tier. Um, so I will say, like, they just really don't have the top-end talent that teams like the Eagles or like the Niners have. But again, it's just... It's Mahomes, it's Kelsey, it's Andy Reid. I really don't know what else I have to say. It's just I can't count them out at this point. They're just too damn good. They're always so damn relevant. And I've got to give a lot of credit to this young secondary, um, led by McDuffie, led by Legereus Sneed. Those two guys have been playing excellent football to start off the year. Honestly, they were playing excellent football even last year, but McDuffie is really emerging as a really, really good young cornerback in this league. They even lined him up at free safety at times. If you haven't seen that play yet, third and seven, it was cover zero. McDuffie was the lone free safety. He read Kirk Cousins' eyes the entire time, made a great break on the ball. Everyone knew it was going to Justin Jefferson. McDuffie knew it himself, made a really big heads-up play, followed Kirk's eyes, and broke up a pass on third and seven when the Vikings had a chance to you know, continue driving and tie up the game. If you don't know, I believe it was like, I want to say like, Six minutes left in the third. It was 13:20. I can say that for sure. You can look up the play if um, you know you want to go check it out because I love that they're using McDuffie in a whole bunch of different ways. He can play in the slot. He can play outside. Now they've got him playing, you know, single high coverage, free safety, and just trusting him with his vision, with his eyes, and he's making huge plays in that moment. So I love what Kansas City has done in the draft process. I think they're, you know. That's, this isn't this isn't a hot take at all, and this isn't news to anybody. Kansas City, they're really damn good at drafting. Kansas City, they're really well-managed. They're really well-coached, have possibly the most talented quarterback in all of football. They do have the most talented quarterback in all of football. And he's got an amazing chemistry with Travis Kelsey, where he just knows where to sit in zones. They're always on the same page. 
that type of stuff is really, really hard to stop now. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. You guys know what I'm going to bring up now. Everyone's talked about these games being rigged for Kansas City. The refs are working for Kansas City. The refs got a call from Vegas. They had to pick up that flag on the pass interference. It was clearly a pass interference. And blah, 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 blah. I know this is not what you guys are going to want to hear from me because I'm, you know, an entertainer and I do this for you guys and I do this for the content. But there was nothing sus about the end of this game. It was a little bit weird. If anything, it was a little bit weird that they didn't flag him for taking his helmet off. That's weird. That's the most sus part about this. But you guys got to keep in mind, even if the flag was called on that removal of the helmet, it wouldn't have given him a first down. It was already occurred after the turnover downs. They already picked up the flag for the pass interference. So the 15 yards would have been added <clears throat> at the first down that Kansas City got. It wouldn't have been added to the viking side and it wouldn't have been an automatic first down that's just first off that's not how the rule works so let's start right there with the helmet removal it occurred after a turnover downs to so the 15 yards wouldn't have been an automatic first down first and foremost second off that was not a pi i know i know i know it looks like it and if the ball was closer to him it would have been a pi but frankly it was definitely uncatchable and legeria sneed got his head turned around so even if you you know you watch guys like Sauce Gardner and you watch guys like Marshawn Lattimore, which they basically constantly have at least one hand on the receiver, even if they're not like truly in the shoulder pads and getting them turned around, you could make that call on so many plays if that's a PI. Plus he got his head turned around. Plus the ball was never even in the vicinity of Jordan Addison. Kirk Cousins was getting leveled as he threw it, and I heard other people say like, "Oh, that should be roughing the passer." It wasn't because not only did he not hit him in the head or neck area, it was in the chest area. He didn't throw his body weight on him either. He let him fall by himself. He just happened to get blasted because Kirk Cousins is that quarterback. He tends to stay in the pockets and he tends to, you know, let it rip when he needs to. He's a ballsy ass quarterback. It's something we've seen very, very regularly. So I know this is not what you guys want to hear me say. And I'll say this. Is it a bad look on the NFL that they didn't call the flag on that removal of the helmet? Is it a bad look that, you know, they, they pulled the flag and then they picked it up? Because realistically, I don't think none of this conversation, maybe not any of it, but a this conversation wouldn't be nearly as big of a deal if they didn't throw the flag in the first place. They should have just left it there and uh, left it as is and just not pulled it. But it's a bad look. Yes. Are the fans right to be upset? Yes, partially. But let's be honest. The Chiefs are just the better team. And... <laughs> I just don't see how you can say like 100% definitively that this is like blatant rigged the, the they were getting a call from Vegas the refs fucked up I just don't see how you can make that argument I really don't and frankly the right team won on Sunday and that's all that matters let's get into my number two team this is where stuff might get a little bit controversial but I've flipped it number two i've got the philadelphia eagles as long as they're doing what they're doing on both sides of the line of scrimmage this is still arguably the best team in the league obviously they're not i have them at number two in my opinion overall they might not be as top heavy or well coached as the 49ers who are obviously my number one team that's not a spoiler anymore because i haven't mentioned them so we all know the niners are my number one team you could argue that you could definitely say the niners just as far as top end talent are the most talented roster in the league they might be the most well coached roster in the league but pure depth wise pure having holes in a roster the eagles just still have no holes they are the deepest team in the league in my opinion and i cannot emphasize enough how badly the rest of the league fucked up by letting jalen carter fall to this team 
Jalen Carter has been playing so, so well for the Philadelphia Eagles. He has been a serious difference maker. Not only is he just playing well for a rookie, playing well for an interior defensive lineman, he is playing well regardless of position, regardless of draft status. He is just playing very, very well for this Philadelphia Eagles team. He is looking like one of their better defensive players already, and it is just so scary that he ended up on a team like this that's already so complete, and I really don't know what else to say. I mean, how can the Eagles not beat you? I've been saying this since last year. We know the identity of the Eagles at this point. They can beat you up on both sides of the line. Their defensive line is deep. They have rotation. They can win in a lot of different ways. Their offensive line is excellent at pass protecting, and they can run the ball down your throat. The brotherly shove is absolutely unstoppable for a reason. The NFL is trying to get a ban for a reason because these dudes are damn near perfect. Number one, that's no surprise at all. You already know who I'm going to say, San Francisco 49ers. I've seen everything I need to to think that this team is the best team in the league. Already knew how loaded this team was, and now Purdy is just absolutely blowing my expectations out of the water for him. I thought he would at least start slowly coming off that UCL surgery. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely not the case. Um, he is just a damn good quarterback who's playing really, really damn well. I talked about it a little bit earlier in my power ranking um, section where you know, I mentioned that people are finally starting to realize that this dude isn't just a good quarterback for being drafted where he was drafted. He isn't just a good quarterback for playing in this scheme. He is just great, good, excuse me. I mixed great and good, good. He's just a great quarterback and he plays with immense confidence. He knows how to manipulate pockets and he just has a certain type of poise about him that you rarely see from these caliber of young quarterbacks. And because of that, because he's on a rookie contract, they're able to pay a lot of these guys. And because of that, they have the most top heavy, you know, talent loaded team in the entirety of the NFL. And they are beating the absolute breaks off of teams, both defensively, offensively. There's really far, like there's barely any weaknesses to this team. There's barely anything you can say bad about them as of right now. They are the best team in the entirety of the NFL. I just talked for almost 30 minutes straight. Let's get into a couple teams that should be absolutely panicking and might look different at this time next year. All right, so this segment is going to be a lot shorter, but let's talk about two teams that might look extremely different this time next year. And the first off, more like, I'll probably like name this segment in the description, like teams that should be in panic mode, because I think there's two very clear teams that have to be on absolute panic mode. Don't get me wrong. This isn't to say that they're the two worst teams in the league, although they're not too far away from it. Um, It's more like expectations compared to where they are, compared to where we normally see these teams. It's that kind of deal. It's like, how different will these teams be by this time next year? Because frankly, there's teams that are worse than these two teams. Like the the Panthers are probably the worst team in the league, but they're not going to be blowing it up. Um, They still need to stay patient with Bryce Young. It's very obvious this team is in the middle of a rebuild. Teams like the Broncos, who... We saw how bad they were last year, and they're kind of stuck in a rut here with Russell Wilson. Kind of hard to get out of that situation. Um, You know, teams like the Redskins, or sorry, the Commanders. I don't really care that I just said the Redskins. I'm keeping it in. I don't give a fuck. It's my show. Um, Teams like the Commanders. Sorry, the ABPC out here. Um, You know, we expected them to be a little bit in a rebuild. They have a new quarterback. You know, expectations were a little bit weird. But... Let's talk about the New England Patriots because I think we always just expect, at least me, I always personally expect 
the Patriots to at least be competitive. I expected them to at least be around 500 this year. You know, Bill Belichick, that defense, you can never count them out. I thought, you know, there were reasons on offense to think that they'll at least be competent. I didn't think they were going to be, you know, a top 10 unit, but I definitely didn't think they were going to be a bottom third unit either. I thought they were going to be somewhere between 10 and 20, just given, you know, their weapons aren't that great, but hey, Mac Jones, you know, he can deal. He's a decent enough system quarterback. Their offensive line on paper is not that bad, but it's just all going wrong for the New England Patriots right now. And I think there could be serious changes coming by this offseason. I mean, is it time for Bill Belichick to hang it up? More than likely, he's not going to because I think I just think he's too stubborn. And I don't know if he's going to be the one that's going to say, okay, it's time for me to step away. And I don't think Robert Kraft is going to approach him and say, hey, Bill, I think it's time for you to step away. Um, but the Patriots really do look like they could be on pace for a top five pick and getting ready for a rebuild. They could be getting ready to replace Mac Jones. And I just think they need a whole reboot in their philosophy. They can't win the way they used to win, not only because... Obviously, they don't have Tom Brady anymore to make up for the lack of talent um, surrounding the quarterback position, but also just in the way that the NFL has changed. When Belichick was at his absolute prime and winning all of those Super Bowls, first off, the weapons were better than they are now, so I just want to throw that out there. But it was far less of an offensive-driven league. Weapons didn't absolutely run the league. You know, receivers weren't making north, or I guess not really north, but receivers weren't making $30 million in the case of Tyreek Hill. We're seeing that now. And... You can still get away with drafting defense every single year in the first round and just expect your offense to, you know, get by, led by fantastic quarterback play, <clears throat> Tom Brady. But that formula just simply is a lot harder to get by now. I mean, there's a reason why the best teams in the league consistently either have the absolute cream of the crop quarterback play and Patrick Mahomes in the Kansas City Chiefs or a combination of really damn good quarterback play mixed with really, really good weapons. I mean, if you just look at the teams that have made the Super Bowl the past few seasons i mean you can see the rams the rams have cooper cup who was the triple crown winner absolutely fantastic year they end up winning the super bowl who'd they play against the Bengals and joe burrow and jamar chase and t higgins last year if it wasn't mahomes and kelsey who by the way one of the best tandems all of all time it was jalen hurts and Devontae smith and aj brown aj brown was brought in that offseason there's a clear trend here in the nfl weapons win games it's a pass oriented league now just with how the rules are changing with how you know coaching schemes have adjusted with guys like mike mcdaniel and kyle shanahan coming in and putting their you know spice into this nfl formula it's really become a pass happy league and defenses aren't going to lead the way anymore so it's time for philosophically the patriots need to change their ways and it starts with bill belichick if he can't get out of his own way and realize that they need to invest more in the offensive side of the ball this is going to continue to be an issue and again they're on pace for a top five pick right now they're on pace for a terrible maybe long rebuild because of how they've built this team obviously they're coming off two of the worst losses not only not only in like <clears throat> excuse me not only of the season but literally of belichick's entire career and it's back-to-back -back weeks so this thing could you know come to a sliding grinding hall early it doesn't help that two of their best defensive players are out for the season at least more than likely out for the season sounds like judon maybe could come back but who knows if that ends up happening so the patriots could be a team that look drastically different by this time next year up next 
I would need to talk about the Minnesota Vikings. Obviously, they're already 1-4 to start the season. Now, Justin Jefferson, not only their best player, but one of the best players in the entirety of football, just mentioned how important it is to have weapons to win in this day and age. He's going to be placed on IR, missing a minimum of four games. Keep in mind, the trade deadline is three weeks from now. It's Halloween day is the trade deadline. Their next four games, and I'll, I'll mention why that's important in a second, but I want to say their next four games that will be without Justin Jefferson at Chicago, which is now looking like a game that might not be just as easy of a chalk W as you know you would have thought before this past couple weeks because Justin Fields looks like he's bringing it together a little bit. Obviously, they have the home field advantage now which is going to be really helpful no matter what you think. Their offensive line is playing much, much better with Tevin Jenkins coming back off IR. He played a phenomenal game against Washington last week. Then they have San Francisco coming into town. That's an L. I don't want to hear it. That's just an L. Then you're going into Green Bay. Obviously, Green Bay not playing their best football right now, and it's a division rivals, so you never quite know what's going to happen in that game. But at the end of the day, it's on the road at Green Bay. That's not an easy place to play no matter who you are. And then it's at Atlanta who, you know me, you know how I feel about Atlanta. They're very fluky. I really don't know what to make of this team, but I will say this. Desmond Ritter is still undefeated at home as a starter. He is playing significantly better football at home. He had 300 yards passing last week at home against the Texans, and it's just really tough to go into Atlanta and win when Desmond Ritter is a starter because until I see it, he hasn't lost yet. So it's hard to write him off. And again, that's the week... Um, after the trade deadline. So say they're 1-7 going into that game. What if Kirk isn't on this roster anymore? I know he has a no-trade clause, so it's 100% and entirely up to him if he is going to go. But wouldn't you want to go to the Jets instead of being on a 1-7 Vikings team? If the Jets are hanging around at that point and they think they might have a shot of making a deep playoff run and they go get Kirk Cousins on an expiring contract, it would logically kind of make sense from both sides because... Obviously, Aaron Rodgers is your guy next year, but Kirk is coming off an expiring contract. You can clear some cap to go get him, and then <clears throat> you don't have to give up that much to go get him either because it's not like Minnesota has any leverage. He's going to be walking anyways. It's entirely up to Kirk on where he wants to go, but I don't see how like a third-round pick wouldn't be at least in the conversation here. I know the Vikings aren't familiar with tanking, but if you're 1-7, in seven, it's not like you're making the playoffs anyways, and it's that point you could be thinking of the future you could be thinking okay let's keep justin jefferson happy let's get him a, another franchise quarterback let's go try and get a guy like a caleb williams like a drake may like whoever it may be sanders bo nicks i don't know but could that be the way they're thinking it 100 percent could be in my opinion and don't forget justin jefferson still hasn't signed his massive contract Obviously, they can still pick up his fifth-year option, and he can still technically be under contract for two more years with the team, including this year and then next year, so I guess one and a half, whatever you want to consider it. Um, but again, he's still technically not under contract, and it's not like he has to play out his fifth-year option. There's a lot of moving parts here. Keep in mind, Daniil Hunter is also on an expiring deal. Um, so are guys like KJ Osborne. There's a couple of other contributors like Ezra Cleveland, starting guard. Um, they could definitely be a team that after, you know, right before the trade deadline, if they're one and seven going into that game at Atlanta, they could be heavy sellers. They could be having a total fire sale and just trying to be get getting rid of as many guys as they can and, you know, make something out of nothing because at one and seven, it's an absolute lost season anyways. I'm not saying this is exactly what's going to happen, and I'm not, I'm not predicting anything. I'm not saying 
Kirk Cousins by week eight will be a New York Jet, or Daniel Hunter will be, you know, wherever the fuck Daniel Hunter ends up if he does it, get end up trading. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, don't be absolutely mind blown. Don't be flabbergasted if this does end up happening and Minnesota looks extremely different than they did, you know, at this time. That's all I'm saying. So, without further ado, let's get into my final segment of the episode. Let's get into fantasy waiver wire ads. Alright guys, this is easily going to be the shortest segment of the entirety of the entire episode. There's not too many great waiver wire ads for you guys. There's some decent trade targets, but if you're more concerned about trades, uh, those are very situational things that if you want advice on trades, just hit me up. Seriously, just DM me on Instagram. If you've got my number or Snapchat, whatever, just text me. I don't, I seriously, I'm totally fine with answering any questions about that. Trades are a little bit harder to talk about. Obviously, you can talk about like trade candidates. Like if I were me um, and you have DJ Moore. That might be someone you look you might be looking to be trading away while he's on this really high note you could also you know make the opposite argument and say like wow dj moore and justin fields have something really special here i need to stop benching him and i need to be starting him you know you could say stuff like that but again trades are just very specific person to person based on what your team needs all that kind of stuff so it's pretty hard to talk about explicit trade recommendations when it's very situational so if you want help on that hit me up guys but let's get into some waiver wire ads. Let's start with the running back position. I have four names that I want to mention in this segment, and these are going to be in order of how I'm prioritizing them. First of which is going to be Jeff Wilson. He's designated to ter- return from IR. Devon Achan, Achan is going to IR himself. So I think that's going to be, I mean, it doesn't have to, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see where I'm going with this. Jeff Wilson is going to be filling that A-chan role, obviously not as effectively because A-chan has just been extremely explosive and has looked amazing to start off the year, but it was basically a 50-50 split between him and Raheem Mostert. Um, We know how explosive this Miami Dolphins is as a whole, obviously leading the league in rushing yards. That Broncos game definitely does pad some stats there, but Jeff Wilson going to be splitting touches, um, going to be a serious contributor in this offense. Extremely explosive offense that's going to be given a lot of golden opportunities as far as in the red zone. Mike McDaniels loves to run the ball down in the red zone. I don't know if you guys have noticed it. I don't know the exact stat, but I have certainly noticed it from watching his games. He gets conservative once they're down in the red zone, and that's why Devon A-Chain and Raheem Mostert lead the league in rushing touchdowns by a very, very wide margin. Um, Jeff Wilson is going to be getting the opportunity. He's definitely someone that you're going to be going to want to be adding to your roster. Up next, Amari uh, DeMarcado. He is the backup running back, now the starter for the Arizona Cardinals. James Conner went down with a knee injury. Sounds like he is going to be placed on IR as well. Amari got a great share of the, excuse me, <clears throat> A great share of the carries once Connor did go down with that injury, and I expect him to continue to be the starter going forward. James Connor was actually playing really, really well before he went down, and part of that has to be credited to this scheme, to this offense, because they're playing far better than I think anyone expected to. Um, again, Amari's going to be getting the Amiri, Amari. Um, I think it's Emari, technically. He's going to be getting a lot of opportunities in this one. Definitely worth an add if you need some help at running back. Up next, this is kind of a two for one, but I was just going to say the Chicago backfield. I'd probably be prioritizing Deontay Foreman first. He's probably going to be more of a stream option just because Roshan Johnson did enter concussion protocol on Thursday. I'm sorry if you can hear my chair squeaking. I don't know why I just started doing that. I've been moving around this whole time. Anyways, 
So Deontay Foreman, probably more of a streaming option this week. But I will say the Chicago Bears have 100% gotten their offense as a whole going, which is helping everyone. It's not just helping the receivers and Justin Fields numbers. It's also helping the running back numbers. So Deontay Foreman, more of a stream option for this week at home going against the Minnesota Vikings. If you really need the help, he could be a decent flex play there. But Roshan Johnson, more of the guy going forward. I already thought he was going to threaten Khalil Herbert for the starting job in this one just because of the identity of this Bears team. They want to run more inside zone. They want to run more power. Roshan Johnson really fits that mold. And he's just a really exciting player as a whole. He can do a lot of great things. I mentioned this in the draft process because I... I wasn't crazy high on him, but I liked him a lot um, simply because he was super well-rounded. There was not a lot that this guy couldn't do. Only one career fumble in college, and he has really great hands for someone his size, really, really good pass blocker, and plays with insane power. Runs a lot of guys over, is really fun to watch. So if you want the one-week stream, go for Deontay Foreman because he's more than likely going to be getting a majority of the reps this week. Even if Roshan does clear concussion protocol, they'll probably just take him easy and ease his way back in. But if you want the long-term option, because Khalil does sound like he's going to miss at least four weeks, Roshan is your guy going forward there. At wide receiver, first of which we're going to be going with KJ Osborne. KJ Osborne is a guy whose role has always increased when Justin Jefferson is out. Justin Jefferson now out for four weeks. He is basically the wide receiver one in this offense. I expect it to be like kind of a 1A, one, one 1B one scenario with Jordan Addison, but he was getting more snaps than Jordan Addison when JJ did go out. And KJ Osborne is someone who's shown a great connection with Kirk Cousins in the past. Obviously, it's only come in flashes, but with this increased opportunity, I do expect KJ to see an increased role in this offense and see a lot more targets. Definitely someone that could could and slash should be added if you need help at the wide receiver position. Up next, Josh Downs. This is another guy who's seen his snaps consistently increase. He got a career high in yardage this past week and catches with Gardner Minshew coming in and he showed a serious connection with Gardner Minshew a lot of big chunk plays for them there I expect that role to continue I know there's a lot of different receivers in this offense that can make it happen Michael Pittman obviously is the wide receiver one but Josh Downs someone they invested a second round pick in someone I wasn't too high coming out of college but could completely understand why someone would be and yeah, just increased role, increased opportunity. There's a reason why they spent a second round pick on him. They're going to be using him. And finally, my last receiver that I think is still being slept on, and I'm really, really proud of this call out because I said he was going to be a sleeper this past week. He kind of looked like he was going to end up screwing me over, and then he caught a touchdown, and I was like, fuck yeah, good sleeper call there. Rasheed Rice. I just really like him as a prospect. I love his athletic profile and the way that he fits into this Kansas City offense. I think they use him really, really well. He seems to be quarterback friendly. He seems to understand, you know, zone concepts very well as far as getting in the right area. Just a crafty route runner as far as like the little tiny nuances. It's nothing too flashy. It's not like he has the craziest footwork or is the craziest release package or anything like that, but just being in the right space at the right time. And again, Kansas City has been looking for someone in this wide receiver core to step up. They spent a second round pick on this guy. Sky Moore was a second round pick last year, but he really hasn't panned out the way that I thought he was going to. Rasheed Rice looks like he has the opportunity to do so. And again, his athletic profile speaks for himself. Uh, 90th percentile in both the 10 yard split you know broad jump a lot of those numbers that really do significant uh signify excuse me an elite athlete so rasheed rice definitely worth 
adding if you need help in the wide receiver room. And I just think that he's still being slept on. He's not owned in a whole lot of leagues, and I think you'll be able to get him for super cheap if you're playing in a league where you have to pay for your guys to pick up on the waiver wire. Up next, two quarterbacks that I want to mention, Sam Howell and Matthew Stafford. I'm kind of in similar positions with them where these offenses are passing the ball a hell of a lot right now. Matthew Stafford looks healthy. It's one of the highest volume passing offenses in the entirety of the league. And Sam Howell in a similar situation there where they're going to be playing catch up in a lot of these games. Obviously, they're in a really tough division, but Sam Howell, he has you know, not looked too good at times, but there are other times where he has absolutely flashed with talent. I'm believing in the talent. I'm believing in Eric Bieniemy and the scheme. I really think Sam Howell could be a decent pickup at the quarterback position if you need help in that area. Same goes for Matthew Stafford. Again, pretty similar argument there where it's just going to be high volume, high passing offenses. And now he's getting his wide receiver one back, his trusty friend in Cooper Cup. That's only going to elevate his ceiling. But that's going to do it for me, guys. I hope you did enjoy today's episode. If you did, be sure to share this with your friends and family. Follow me here on Spotify or Apple Music, wherever you listen to this podcast. Follow me over on Instagram, at Murphy's League, same handle. And again, feel free to hit me up if you want any trade advice, if you want any betting advice, whatever. You know, whatever. I'm always here. Um, might not answer too quickly, but I'll try my best. I appreciate each and every single one of y'all. Have a great rest of your day, and peace out, y'all.